Well, this morning we're uh, beginning a new series, as you can see from uh, this bumper that's entitled Silence. And uh, we're asking the question, as Pastor Philip kind of alluded to earlier, is what do we do or how do we handle the reality in our life sometimes God feels silent? And um, I'm excited to be sharing with you guys this morning. Um, I'm also a little... Uh, have some feelings of inadequacy this morning, and I'm going to share why in a few minutes. Um, but when I'm thinking about the, the idea of silence, um, you know, we hear that a lot from different people, or you may feel that a lot, and um, that's kind of a vague uh, saying to say God is silent. So what I wanted to do as we started off is uh, think about how God speaks. You know, if we say God is silent, then we're assuming that God speaks in certain ways. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, how God speaks, the different ways that we can hear God speaking in our lives, and then focus in on one of those areas and talk about when God is silent in that area. And that's what we're going to do this morning. And so, you know, how does God speak? If you look through God's Word and you, and you read from, you know, creation all the way to Revelation where uh, Jesus returns, you see God speaking in certain ways. And these are the ways as I was thinking about God speaking that I thought of first off was that God speaks, you know, through His Word. Uh, we read God's Word. We read the Bible. And in it, we believe those are the very words of God. God speaks through his spirit. When we become a Christian, when we become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into our heart, makes us a new creation, and now we have God actually dwelling inside of us. And so God works and moves and speaks to us through his Holy Spirit living inside of us. He speaks through his people when we come alongside other people and we live life with others, get into a home group or, you know, have close friendships of other believers. God uses those people to speak into our lives and to share truths and to challenge us and to grow us. And the last area is circumstances. God uses our circumstances to, to speak to us, to, um, to let us see things, to let us know things, and to help us understand his truths in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about this last one, circumstances. And so the question this morning is going to be, what happens when God seems so silent in my circumstances? And I don't think, I mean, God's timing is perfect in this, as Pastor Philip was sharing um, earlier about some tragedies that have happened this week. And I feel inadequate in some ways to even be sharing about this because the honest truth is I haven't experienced a whole lot of suffering in my life. I haven't had a whole lot of tragedies that have happened where I've gone through these times of just just deep suffering where I didn't understand what was going on and I didn't realize or, or couldn't figure out why God was seemingly silent, not showing up in the midst of those. And so I haven't had those experiences as many of you have. The, the suffering that, that Gary's family is going through right now or the suffering that Pastor Philip and his family has gone through uh, this past year or looking at the news and, and, re and seeing this week that, that a Christian radical went into a, a mosque and shot up the place and killed over 50 Muslims who were worshiping there. And thinking about their families and, and their friends and the suffering that happens all the time in this world. And the question is, where is God? Why is God silent? Why is God not showing up? And so that's the question that we're going to kind of wrestle with this morning a little bit. And I don't have the experiences. What I do have is God's word. 
And I think God's word is, is sufficient. I think God's word is adequate to, to give us some answers, to give us some hope, to give us some, some understanding. But the honest truth is God's word is not like a textbook that gives us a whole section on this is what you need to know exactly in the midst of suffering, right? We find God through the stories of the Bible. And as we read God's word and see how, how Jesus has interacted and worked through history, we begin to know more about God. And we begin to see how God works, and sometimes in ways that we can't fully understand. And so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, John 11, verses 1 through 44. So if you have your Bible, if you have your apps, however you access God's word, if you could turn to John 11. And we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And so what we're going to do, in case you don't know the story very well, I'm going to just start off by giving a, a kind of bird's eye view of this is what happens in the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And then we're going to go back and we're going to break down different sections of it to see what this says about God's seeming silence in the midst of suffering. So here's kind of the big idea of what happens in this story. In verses 1 through 16, Jesus is off doing ministry. And uh, Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus, sends word to Jesus that Lazarus is deathly ill. And so Jesus hears of Lazarus' illness. But he actually stays where he is for two more days, even though Lazarus was sick. And Lazarus ends up dying. And then what happens next in verse 17 through 27 is that Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live, and he begins to explain to them what is about to happen. Why he wasn't there, why he decided to stay for a little while back where he was before coming to uh, Bethany. Then verses 28 through 37, Jesus weeps. We all know that verse, the shortest verse in Scripture, Jesus wept. And what happens is people see Jesus, his emotional reaction to this, this reality of Lazarus dying, of the mourning of Mary and Martha, and the suffering that all of these people who knew Lazarus are go, is going through. And they see Jesus, knowing who he is, knowing what he has done in the past, seeing that he is weeping and that he is emotionally uh, distraught and hurt by what's happening. And what they do is begin to question his motives and his abilities and his identity. And then finally, verses 38 through 44, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So what I want to do is work kind of through this and talk through this and find out what we can understand about God's silence in the midst of suffering. And we're actually going to do it a little out of order. We're going to start with verses 28 through 37. And I want to read this to you. This is after Jesus has arrived in Bethany after he stayed back for a little while. And this is what happens. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So we see right here the reality of suffering in the lives of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all of his friends. And I know that many of you have been in this exact same place that Mary and Martha are in this story. Their brother has just died. There's an extreme amount of mourning and suffering going on. And they're asking the question, Jesus, where were you? If you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. If you would have been here, all of this suffering would not have happened. If you would have been here, things would have been incredibly different. And so everyone is looking at this situation and beginning to raise doubts about who Jesus really is. It's no different today as people are asked the question of if God was real, is there suffering? How can there be suffering in the world if, if God is real? How can I be going through this horrible circumstance in my life if Jesus really loves me? These are the exact same questions that we ask today that were being asked of Jesus in that exact same time period. And so what, now we're going to move back to verse 1 and see what happens here. Because this is, this is the most like mind-blowing, like hard-to-understand part of this entire story. Listen to what happens. Verse 1 of, of chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They don't want to go back. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So he was kind of tongue in cheek. Let's go. We might as well die with Jesus. He goes right back into the fire where people are trying to stone him. But here's the thing about this. This amazes me because there's so many things that Jesus does in these verses in the midst of the suffering of Mary and Martha and the death of Lazarus that just do not make sense at all to us here on this world. And people in society would look at that and say, what in the world? That is just crazy. But it's also the thing that makes me believe the Bible because, you know, if, if this was not a true book, and they were just trying to make Jesus this awesome superhero type person, they would never include these crazy, almost like uncaring, it seems, things that Jesus does right here. Listen again, look back, it's just, this is what Jesus does. So first off, whenever uh, Mary and Martha, whenever he gets word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus has died, he says, this sickness will not end in death, no, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. And so someone comes to Jesus and says, 
Lazarus is on his deathbed. He's about to die. And Jesus kind of nonchalantly says, it's for God's glory. That's his response. And then after that, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So John is saying, because Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much, he stayed for two days. What? That makes no sense. If he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus so much, he could have healed Lazarus in that instant from afar, just like he did many other times. But instead, he loved them so much that he decided to stay two more days where he was and allow Lazarus to die. That's crazy to me. And then on top of that, instead of healing Lazarus from afar, he tells the disciples, all right, disciples, let's, let's get back. We're heading back to Bethany. We're going right back to Jerusalem, right where we were trying to be, where we were about to be stoned just a short while ago. We're jumping right in, and we're going there. And the disciples are like, whoa, wait a second. Jesus, we know who you are. We know you can heal Lazarus from here. We know that we don't have to go back there to, to, to fix this issue, to, to change this suffering, to make all of this better. But instead, Jesus says, no, we're going right back towards Jerusalem, and we're going to visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the last thing he says is, in verse uh, 14, he says, in, or 15, he says, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So he basically says that he is glad that this has happened. He's glad that Lazarus got sick. He's glad that he was far off when it happened. He's glad that he wasn't there. He's glad that Lazarus has now died. And he's glad that two days later he is going to leave and go visit Lazarus four days after he has died. And I look at that and I read that and I'm like, if that was me, that is almost the complete opposite of, of what I would have done. If one of my good friends was sick and dying, I would have been right there as quick as I could, right? Like, so for me, it's like, what is going on here? What This does not make sense. Jesus is staying away in the midst of this suffering. He's almost seemingly silent when this is going on, and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and all of their friends and family are suffering, suffering and mourning the death of Lazarus. And what that means, as I read that, there's only one thing that it really can mean, and it's that Jesus saw things differently than we do. Jesus had a different perspective on everything in life than we do. Jesus' entire worldview and his entire understanding of what is going on in this world and the way things should happen in this world were completely different than what mine is and what the world is and what we would think would be the right thing to do. So Jesus is in this situation, and he decides in his in your vast wisdom and knowledge and power. This is, this is God we're talking about. He sees these people suffering, and he says, the best thing for me to do in this situation is to stay silent. The best thing for me to do in this situation is stay removed. The best thing for me to do is stay here for two more days best thing is for Lazarus to die, and the best thing is for me to go and visit Lazarus four days after he dies. And so you can imagine what Mary and Martha and all the friends and family of Lazarus must have been feeling in those moments. 
You know, the word was sent to Jesus and every day. It was, is Jesus going to show up today? I, I don't know. We, we, we sent word to him. We told him, is God going to show up today? I don't, I don't know. We prayed and I prayed again and I prayed again. I, and I believe God, God's hearing me, but, but he's not showing up. He's not doing it. He's not here. He's not in the midst of this. Maybe you have felt that way before. Maybe you're feeling that way right now in the midst of whatever suffering you may be going through, in the midst of whatever uh, circumstance may be happening in your life. And so this is so important and so real to us right now. And so next up, we're going to move to verses 17 through 27. And this is what happens. He's now he's coming to Bethany, coming to see Mary and Martha. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to, com- come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who it is that came into the world. And so here we begin to see Jesus acknowledge what's happening and begin to share about what is going to happen, how he's going to work this out. At the beginning, Jesus said, all of this is for the glory of God. All of this is for God's glory to be revealed through me. And we have this section in, in, in the first like 17, 18 verses where like, how can, how can that be? How can you be so far away, so removed, seemingly silent in the midst of this suffering, and yet somehow this is going to be working out for God's glory? And we begin to see that right here as he begins to explain, hey, guess what? Lazarus will rise again. Hey, guess what? I am the resurrection and the life. And then continuing on, the final verses is verses 38 through 44. And this is what it says. This is when Jesus uh, raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Mary, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so finally we see at the end of this account of Jesus and Lazarus how God got the glory from this situation. He, ra- he raised Lazarus from the dead. He showed his power in the midst of this suffering. But the reality is that it wasn't just God's glory there that, that, was, that was given. It actually was good 
for the people there. It was good for Mary and for Martha and for Lazarus and for all the people. And so God doing something that seemingly we can't understand, that doesn't make sense to us, and he does it for his glory, is actually the greatest good that we can experience in our life. You may be thinking, well, how in the world was that horrible circumstance good for Mary and for Martha and for the friends and the family of Lazarus. How could that have been good? And I think about that, and I think, well, a couple of outcomes came from that. Obviously, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and their friends and families, they had greater faith after they went through the suffering and saw Jesus work. You know, they also had a, had a greater knowledge of who Jesus is. They had a greater intimacy with him, knowing that he cared for them in ways that they couldn't even understand or comprehend, and that he did love them. You know, they had a, they had a greater uh, strength for the future. Their character was refined as they had more faith. That, that was a greater character. And, and finally, it was, it was a greater testimony that they were able to share from then on. Because what happened after that was, was the people began to, to glorify Jesus even more. People went out and shared the story of what happened with Jesus and with Lazarus. And more people became Christians and followers of Christ because of what happened. And so Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the people who witnessed this, their greater good was a greater faith that came through suffering. It was a greater knowledge and a greater intimacy with Jesus that came through that suffering. It was a greater character of their life that came through that suffering. It was a greater testimony for the rest of the world that came through all of that suffering. And none of that would have occurred if Jesus would have just healed Lazarus right at the beginning, that they experienced something deeper, more intimate. It was much tougher. It was so much harder for them. It was probably the hardest thing they ever experienced in their entire life. But at the end of it, they could say it was greater for my good than if Jesus would have just healed them from the beginning or never let the bad thing happen. So what I want to do is, is think about this story. Think about this, this whole um, reality of Jesus hearing about this suffering in the lives of the people that he loves, choosing to allow that suffering to happen, remaining somewhat silent in the midst of that for the reason that it's for God's glory and that it's also actually for their good, that good is going to come of it. And so I want to ask the question is, is this, is what does this passage teach us about God's silence in the midst of suffering? And here's the first things that I see in this passage is that, is that silence does not equal disinterest. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus saw the great good for them that was going to come from this. He saw the great glory that was going to be given to God in the midst of this. And he was very interested and cared deeply, even though it seemed on the outset that he had no interest whatsoever. Silence does not equal disengagement. It wasn't like he was like, oh, they'll figure it out. We'll just let it happen. You know, they'll, they'll make it through. You know, God isn't a God who, who creates the world and lets it run and then steps back and just lets things happen as they happen. And if bad things happen, well, too bad. If good things happen, that's great. God is a God who is intimately in the details of this world. And in this story, even though Mary and Martha are sitting back there at Bethany waiting for Jesus, thinking that Jesus is disengaged from this whole thing, he doesn't really care, whatever, that, that's not the reality and that's not the truth of the situation. And silence does not equal disapproval. 
Because many of us struggle with this. It wasn't that Lazarus had done something wrong. It wasn't that Mary and Martha had sinned in some way, and because of that, they were being punished. I know a lot of times we ask that question, we wonder that. Maybe the suffering that I'm going through, maybe, maybe this is God's punishment. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe, maybe there's something that God is, you know, mad at me about, and he's doing this to me to get back at me. That's never the case with God, and that wasn't the case here. Jesus had a different perspective. He saw things differently. He was doing something that Mary and Martha and the friends and family of Lazarus just could not comprehend as humans because he had such a greater view of everything. He wasn't disapproving. He wasn't disengaged. He wasn't disinterested. That's not reality when it's silent and suffering. So here's what this does teach us. There's a positive. is that God's glory is shown greatest when his people trust him through suffering and find joy in his presence even in the midst of suffering. That's what's going on here. That, that God is, is teaching Mary and Martha and the friends and family to trust Jesus in the midst of suffering. To rely on Jesus. To, to like run into the arms of Jesus and, and get closer to him and develop a greater intimacy as you realize I'm completely dependent on you and there's nothing I can do in the midst of this situation. Because when that happens in your life, God gets great glory. When we stop depending on the things of this world, when we stop depending on our circumstances to make us happy, when we stop depending on the commodities that we get to enjoy in this world, when we stop depending on the comforts that we feel like we deserve in this world, and we start depending on Jesus and only Jesus and nothing else, God gets great glory in the midst of that. Here's another thing. God's glory is our greatest good, even when it means our suffering and his seeming silence that's a tough sentence to believe that's a tough sentence to grab a hold of that's a tough truth in the midst of tough times to say you know what i believe that and i'm going to live that out that god's glory is a greater good than our comfort that god's glory is a greater good than a circumstance being Right, that God's glory is greater than us feeling good or, or being completely healthy or having everything that we need or being able to, you know, pay all of our bills that we have and all of the junk that comes to us in this world that we struggle with. Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's, it's uh, uh, bad relationships, maybe it's a job that's just not going well for you, maybe it's unemployment, maybe it's the death of a loved one. Whatever it is, all of these things, we have to get to a point where we say that God's glory is a greater good than any of those things. And living for Jesus and being known by him and knowing him and depending on him and coming to the him, him in the midst of all of that is the greatest thing that we can experience in this life. And so for us to suffer well when God is seemingly silent, we must get to a point where we can say, God's glory is my greatest good and mean it. We have to get to a point where we can, we can be, the, be a Mary or a Martha or the friends of Lazarus and the family of Lazarus and say, Jesus just isn't showing up right now, it seems. God seems to be silent in the midst of this suffering. God seems to not be working in this situation. 
But I know, I know that God is working. I know that God is not silent. I know that God is not disapproving of me. I know God is not disinterested and he's not disengaged. He is there. He is doing something. I know it. I can't see it. I can't understand it. I don't know why Jesus waited two days before coming to heal my brother. I don't know why he waited till four days until he died before coming and raising him back to life. I don't understand it. it it's beyond my comprehension. But what I know is that he, whatever he's doing, it's for his glory. And whatever he's doing, it's so that I can draw closer to him. It's whatever he's doing is so that I can depend more on him, that I can trust him, that I can fall more into his arms, and I can give up on my own life and say, Jesus, it's all about you, and it's all for you. And if I know that, then I know that he's working and that I can get through it, and that is a greater good than any comfort or ease of life that I may be experiencing here on this earth. So the question is, is how do we do that? How can, how can we get to a point in our lives where we can say God's glory is my greatest good even though if life stinks? How can we get to a point where we say God's glory is what I'm going to live for, my relationship with Jesus is going to be number one, even when every circumstance in my life is suggesting the opposite? And what I want to do is I want to share three, three pictures with you, three icons, maybe to kind of just help you remember this. And these are the three things as I was reading through this and praying through this passage, I thought if we could do these three things, if we can hold on to these three things, that maybe we can believe that God isn't silent in suffering, that he's just working differently than we thought, and he's working for his glory, and his glory is our greatest good. And so here's the first one is, is this idea of, of receiving it. Receive it. It's a battle for the mind. You know, Jesus told, um, told Mary and Martha right at the beginning, right when he heard about Lazarus, he said, this is for God's glory. This is so God's glory can be revealed through me. It's the first thing that he said. This is what's happening. And so they knew it. They heard, they, they heard it, right? How many times have we heard in a service like this or in preaching or in a home group or wherever that, that hey, you know, God's working through this. Hey, it's for God's glory. Hey, you just got to trust. We hear it all the time. But how, how many times is our mind, you know, how, do we, how many times do we really believe it? How many times do we really receive that and say, like, this is crazy to think that maybe the suffering is a gift from God so that I can display God's glory even more in my life. Maybe the suffering is somehow, in some way that I can't understand, it's a gift from God so that in the midst of this, I can draw closer to Jesus and know him even greater because of the suffering that he went through. That's a hard truth to believe, but that's what we have to do. We have to receive it almost as if it's a gift from God to do great things in our life, even though it doesn't make sense. And the next one is this, it's, it's like a treasure. So finding the treasure in it, this is the battle for the heart. So our minds, if we can get our minds to believe the reality that this suffering, this circumstance in some way, in some shape or form is for God's glory, and in God's glory, believing in that, it can be my good, what we have to do next is treasure that. Find the treasure. It's like a, it's a battle for the heart. There's, there's a verse in Matthew 13, 44, where Jesus is um, sharing about the kingdom of God. And he says the kingdom of God 
is like, like a, a treasure that's buried in a field. That's what he says. And he says a man walks and, and he walks into the field and he finds the treasure in the field and he covers it back up. He runs. He sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field. And he comes back and he buys the field and now that treasure is his. And I see this principle playing out in the midst of suffering. Like, like Jesus is that treasure and that field, the, the dirt and the grime and the yuckiness of digging, like that's our suffering. That's our, that's our trials. That's the tough things in life. And the reality is we can experience the treasure of Jesus the greatest in the midst of our suffering and our trials. And when we dig down into those suffering and trials and we, we rely on Jesus, then we find that treasure. And it's so great that we can say, I'm willing to go through whatever it takes to be able to hold the treasure that is Jesus. And that's what's going on here, and that's what God is calling us to do. And here's, here's the last one. Is see it. Because what does Jesus say? I want to read this again. He says to Mary, he says, um, he says, here it is, verse 25, he says to Martha, sorry, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And he says this to Martha when Lazarus has died. And so I think about suffering. And the worst thing that we can suffer as believers is death. And what Jesus says is, you know what? When, when death occurs, when death happens that's actually the beginning of life. That's when you really see for in reality what this was all about. And I think what he's saying is when we, when we finish our life here on this earth, when we die, whatever that, however that looks in our life, it may be through seasons of suffering, it may be through seasons of great things, it may, we may die young, we may die old, whatever it is, when death comes to us, we're going to truly live at that point, And we're going to truly see the treasure that is Jesus. And so there's actually in this world, Paul says in his, his, in his letter, he says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, like dying is a gain for him because when he dies, he will see Jesus face to face. And so what Jesus is saying to, Mary, to Martha here is, though Lazarus died, he will live. And though we die, we will live Again, and when that happens, we will experience the greatest joy life can give us. We'll experience the greatest treasure ever, which is Jesus. And so we can live our lives not being afraid of death. We can live our lives not being afraid of suffering because in suffering in this life, we can find Jesus to a greater level and a greater intimacy. And in death, we can see Jesus face to face in a way that we've never seen him before. So as we close out, I just want to remind us of this one truth. And this is the truth I want you guys to take. Like if you can just take one thing away from this morning, one thing away from the, the story of Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And not just that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but the, the way he did it. That he did some incredibly radical, like, weird things. Like, he didn't come at first. He came later. He waited. He let Mary and Martha and Lazarus' friends and family suffer. He let them mourn. He let them go through a time of just horrible circumstances before he came 
and healed and raised Lazarus. Jesus was silent for a time in the midst of their suffering. And the reason is because he wanted them to realize that God's glory is their greatest good. That what he was about to do through this this, um, this suffering, this death of Lazarus, the glory that he was going to reveal when he raised Lazarus from the dead, but the glory that's there even if Lazarus wasn't raised from the dead was going to be the greatest good that Mary and Martha and the friends and family that they could experience. Because in that, they could experience something that's greater than the comforts of this life. They could experience something that's greater than all the commodities that we enjoy here on this earth. They were going to experience something greater than any good circumstance or fortuitous circumstance that can happen here. They were going to experience the love and the comfort and an intimacy with their creator. You know, we we all desire a predictable future, don't we? We all want things to make sense. We all want things to be easy to understand. But having a confidence in our God is greater than any predictable future that we can have. And we all want comforts in this life. We all want to have commodities that we get to enjoy here. But knowing Jesus so well that we can experience the joy that is found in Christ is greater than any joy that we can experience here on this earth. We all want suffering to cease. We all want God to stop suffering before it happens, but what if God is saying, no, it's in the suffering. It's in that field of suffering where you're going to find the greatest treasure, which is Jesus Christ. That's where you're going to experience the greatest joy of your life. I don't understand it. As I've said, I haven't um, experienced a lot of suffering in my life, and so I'm unqualified to share these truths with you. I'm inadequate to do that, but I believe that's what God's Word says, and so that's what I wanted to share with you guys this morning. So I want to pray for us and pray that we can experience God's great glory for our good in the midst of any suffering and tragedy we have in our lives. Let's pray. God, we confess this morning that we are, we are just, just humans. We live in one little small area in this world, in a very small sliver of history, And God, you're outside of all of that, and you see everything that's happening. You see all the details. You see the motives. You see why you do what you do. God, we cannot understand it, and we never will fully comprehend it. Jesus, but your word is very clear that whatever you are doing is to bring glory to you. And your word is also clear that whatever brings glory to you is our greatest good. Because in your glory, we can find the greatest joy that we've ever experienced. In your glory, we can find the greatest comfort and the greatest peace, greater than anything that this world can give us. And God, if you choose to allow tragedy to end in death, we can know that we are going to see you face to face There's nothing greater than that in this entire world, Jesus. Not even our family, not even our favorite pastimes, not even our favorite TV show, not our favorite food, not our uh, bank account. God, there's nothing in this world that compares to the ability to see you face to face and know you that intimately. 
And so God, in suffering, in tragedy, in mourning, I pray we would run to you. I pray we would open our arms, open our hearts, and say, God, we don't understand, but it's for your glory, and because of that, it's for our good, and we will trust, and we will worship you in the midst, and we will allow you to work, knowing that even though you seem silent, nothing could be further from the truth. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.